Be a cold all day. Okay. Okay, Oishei. So let's go through the four kitsurim before we do Oishei. Always an advantage of having a kitsur in the Maimarim. First, Ois, Iker Shrinab Tachtainim. The essence of the Divine Presence is in the lower realms, as the Rebbe explains at great length in the Rebbe's first Maimar. It's very difficult. Yevar, he explains the Kavanis Briya Sarilamis, the intention of the creation of the worlds, Shia Dir Tachtainim. That there should be a Dir Tachtainim, and that Dir Tachtainim, Venase Al Yudei Iskafi Vishafcha, that's brought about through Aravaida, Iskafia, subduing the Yitzhara, Ishafcha, transforming the Yitzhara. Shemam That draws Seviv, and the Rebbe told us that ultimately that's Atzmus. That was what we saw in the Rebbe. The greater light that emerges from the dark. It's not the greater light, it's a, it's a, a level beyond light. You, did you get it yesterday? It wasn't one yesterday? It wasn't one yesterday. Okay. Or his base. Yevara, the Rebbe explains, Inyan of Karbanas Ba'avayda. The Inyan of Karbanas in Avayda. That was a translation. <laughs> Did you get it? You got it the second time or the first time? Uh, the both Adam, times. Both times, well done. The Adam, a person, Kiyakri, who wants to come close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Tzarech there must be Mikem Karban, from you a Karban. So it's interesting. In the Kitzur, the Rebbe only brings the second shot. The first shot was Adam Kiyakriv Mikem, it's completely dependent upon you and you're able to do it. The second shot was Mikem Korban Lavaya, that from you as a Korban, Mina Bahama, from your Nevesh Bahamis. That's the only thing the Rebbe talks about in the Kitzur. Kiyakriv, Adam Kiyakriv, Sarakliyas Mikem, there must be from you a Korban. And how do you bring the Korban? Well, on the Mizbeach, there was an Eish Shilamayla, there was a fire from above, Rebbe talked about. The fire from below. The fire from above, that's the Av the Nefesh Elkis. In Avoida, that's the Av the Nefesh Elkis. In Gashmias, there was a fire from above in the first temple, and there was also a fire from below that we had to light the, we had to light the, the pile of wood, the Moked. We, we lit it. With the Eish Tomid Tukara Lemizbeach Leisichbeh that was in the corner of the Mizbeach. There was always a fire, 24-7, and we would take wood from that fire and take it over to the main pile. So that was the fire from below, but there was also a fire from above in the second base of Mikdash, the, the, the lion that pounced on the temple on the on the on the Mizbe, on the Mizbeach, on the on the Corbin on the Mizbeach. So what does that relate to an Aveda? The fire from above, the fire from below. The fire from above is the Ava of the Nevishalokis. And the fire from below is the Ava of the Nevishabahamis. That comes as a result of the Hislavishus of the Nevishalokis and the Nevishabahamis, Lizbainan Bizbainan Salokis, Shigama Nevishabahamis Yahola Siga. To contemplate godly things that the Nevesh can comprehend. In other words, think about God in a way that human intellect can understand. And then it affects us. Ava the Nevesh how does that come? Baal Yadei Slavshus Nevesh Elokis Nevesh Okay. Gimel, Ruachstus. Yevaya, the Ruachstus. What's that? Toikif Hataiva, the Nevesh Bahamis the powerful taiva that a person has for Elamaza and the Nevesh is in general, mechasim ala emes, hides the truth. So it might be that someone could chos come to an aveira. 
V'gerdimim, and it causes heder, hergish, elokus, a lack of sensitivity to elokus, ve'iloy mitzvahs, the beauty of mitzvahs. U'pchisus arichugman, also, a person isn't sensitive to the lowliness of being far from the Ebishtim. Okay, Dalit, which we just finished yesterday, and now we'll start hey after we see the kids with Dalit. And in Dalit, of course, the Rebbe explained that when we say that the that the neshama that the that we're disconnected by the Ebishtim by virtue of the Aveva, that's only the midas of the Nevishalakis, which is the expression of the Nevishalakis in the goof. To the three levels, nefesh, ruach, neshama, but not the etzim of the nefesh elokis. Yamshich, he continues to ruach shtus, mechaser rakal amidus the nefesh elokis, v'leyal etzmus of etzim iskashus. You're not in the etz, the essential connection. Okay, vehine. And we were expecting this when we saw this in in the very beginning of the Maimah, the inin of ruach shtus, and in malim gimel, and so now here it is. Just like there is a turning away. <clears throat> because we said, Shtus is Milashen Shita, which is to lean one way or the other. Just as like there, there is a turning away, Lamata Minadas, in a way that's below understanding. And that's called Shtus Teklipa. That's what the Rebbe explained at great length in Ois Gimel. Similarly, there is a das. There is a turning away from intellect that is beyond intellect. And that's kedusha. Meaning, there's expressions of behavior that's not based on reason. That is ridiculous, stupid, and dumb. And there's behavior that is very transcendent. And the reason that it's not connected to reason is not because it's below it, but because it's above it. It's transcended reason. Vayinyan hu, and the Rebbe will explain, Dehine, Amr Razal. Famous Gemara, especially famous for Lubavitchers, because it's here in Basi Lagani, and everybody learns Basi Lagani at least once a year. It's on Yitzvat, if not more. But Bechlal, it's also famous Gemara because it's a, there's a song that we did, the Maisa, we don't sing it at our chasnas, but it's found at many chasnas, Ketzad Meraktim Lifnei Akalo, Ketzad Meraktim, Ketzad Meraktim Lifnei Akalo. It's a nice song, Jews sing at chasnas, how do you dance in front of the kala? Well, it's all based on a Gemara in Ksuvas, how do you dance in front of the kala? So this is one of the stories told about how people danced in front of the kala. Amr al Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Eloi. They say about Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Eloi, <clears throat> that he used to take a sprig of hadas, you know, hadasim, myrtle, hadas, and he would dance in front of the kala, he'd wave it around, he'd have his, his hadas and he'd wave it around. Ah, but the hero of the story is of Shmuel Bar of Yitzchok. Was an Amar. Of Shmuel bar of Yitzchok, Merakid Atlas. He used to dance with three. Rashi explains, Shalosh Badim, three sprigs, three twigs. Zarek Achas Achas. He'd throw one and catch one. In other words, he'd juggle. He'd juggle Hadassim, which isn't easy because, I mean, I don't know how to juggle anything, but I mean, you know, 
juggling something without weight is much harder than juggling something with weight. It has very little weight. So it doesn't go up and down in as regular a fashion as a tennis ball. Okay. With balls. You know, usually people do with balls. Okay. Amar of Zayda. So Rav Zayda said about Rav Shmuel, but Rav Yitzchak, Rav Zayda wasn't so happy with his behavior at the Chasna. Here he is, a big Rav, and the Kala's there, and he's juggling in front of the Kala, like a yeshiva kid. Amar of Zayda, kamachsif lan saba. Machsif is a language of embarrassment. Nama de kisuf. Bread of embarrassment is something that a person gets if they don't earn it. It's called by the Zayar, bread of embarrassment. You're embarrassing us. So, Rebbe quotes Rashi. You're cheapening the honor and the respect of Torah scholars. And you're acting in a lightheaded way. That's what Rav Zayra said. Rav Zayra was not happy with the way Rav Shmuel bar Rav Yitzhak was acting at the Chas. When he passed away, when Rav Shmuel bar Rav Yitzchok passed away, Afsik Amuda Denara, it separated, Afsik, an Amuda, a pillar, Denara of fire, Bendi Day, between him, Lakula Amma to the whole people. Meaning, when they were carrying his goof to the, to the kever, there was a pillar of fire behind his body, separating the body from everybody at the Levi, everybody following, accompanying the, the, the goof to be buried. Rav Zayda was at the, was at the Levi. Amr Rav Zayda. So Rav Zayda said one of three things, all based on the same root, shtus. Amr Rav Zayda, it was good to him, and it was beneficial to him, shoite lesaba, his shoit. So Rashi says, shoit shalhadas. A shoit is a, is, a, is a stick or a sprig, right? So his stick was good for him. In other words, the hadasim that he used to juggle, that's why there's this pillar of fire here. Meaning, Rav Zayra realized that Rav Shmuel bar Rav Yitzhak was right and Rav Zayra was not right. right. This all happened because of his behavior at the Chasnas. Shoit, that's the first word. Shalhadas yamarakid by Rashi. But Amri lay there, those that say, he said, Shtusei Lesabe, his Shtus, Shahaya Misnag Keshaita, they used to act like uh, someone who was not of right mind at the Chasna. But Amri lay there, those that say, again, same word, Shitsei Lesabe, his Shita, Shitasei, his particular way of doing things, Uminhaga, in his custom. So one of three ways that Rav Zedra said, that, based again on the root of shtus, or shaita, or shita, right? that, or, or the shait itself, the actual sprig, the actual hadas, that the behavior of Rav Shmuel by Rav Yitzhak at the Chasna was the reason that he was zeichet to this incredible miracle at his levai. Now, so the Rebbe explains. The shtus zu, this shtus, this folly, harehu lemaylamina beyond intellect. Now there are all sorts of aspects of reality, obviously, that are beyond intellect. People don't usually think about them. The idea that intellect is the ultimate arbor, that human intellect, any intellect, but I mean, when people talk about intellect, they're talking about human intellect. That human intellect is the ultimate arbiter of truth. It's a pretty dangerous position. 
It's also rather silly, but it's a pretty dangerous position. Right? I had a conversation on WhatsApp messages from a former student here who sent a uh, little clip from some professor in college talking about religion being the abandonment of intellect and reason and that morality is based on a person's intellectual understanding of what's right, right? within the context of what's in my self-interest. Well, Ayn Rand, you know, that stuff. Okay, that's what he said to me. He asked me, what do you think? Hitler thought he was moral. Hitler didn't think his actions were immoral. Hitler had a very rational basis for destroying people who were dangerous to the perfection of the world as he saw it. Have to destroy them. Hitler didn't run around saying, I'm immoral. <laughs> he didn't say that. Stalin thought he was immoral? Yeah, not at all. He thought his actions were completely moral. That what? That there's, there's a need to bring about a certain, a certain reality. There are people who oppose that reality. Certainly, I would imagine he thought that at the beginning of the imposition of that reality, there will be more opposition because it'll take a while for the world to figure out this truth. And, uh, and those people are going to have to be killed. So he killed 20 million Russians in the, in the Gulag. He didn't mostly be the way. If you were to talk to him, he would not tell you he's immoral. He would say those people are immoral. So relying simply on human, on human intellect for moral judgment is rather dangerous. Okay. So, so most of us are aware of the fact that there's... This was in terms of morality, right? That's what he sent me, right? So, fine. Hmm? Is it the problem that usually the people who said that I have not the intention of what they're saying? Or is it it's actually a problem that uh, we cannot rely on humanity? That what? I'm sorry? Because usually people said that, that you should rely on human intellect are just, just not, are just hiding their true egotistical intention behind that. Well, that could definitely be, but they might not think that. I mean, you might think that, and maybe you're right, but they won't say that. Yeah. They're not going to say, I'm really a creep, and I really just want to kill people, but I'm going to pretend that I'm being moral. They don't say that. They really think that they have a moral position. Moral position, that's right. right. The left, historically, has murdered and slaughtered all of the enemies of their position within their own country. Someone once said to me, the difference between the left and the right is the left massacres their own citizens, and the right generally tends to go to war against other countries, but doesn't usually kill their own. Which is interesting. That's certainly the history of the 20th century. Left, you know, what were called left-wing regime, regimes, Stalin, Stalin killed 20 million Russians, right? Mao, we don't know, it might be 100 million, we don't know. Tens of millions of people he killed, right? Pol Pot, killed three million Cambodians. How many are there? Right? He wasn't around for very long. Right? right after the Americans pulled out of Vietnam, which was, of course, a very unpopular war right, in America, whether or not that anti-war movement was right or wrong is an interesting question now in historical perspective. Right? I mean, having lived through it, we were all convinced it was wrong. Well, as soon as the Americans left, Pol Pot took over Cambodia and killed three million Cambodians within 
a few years. Okay. He would not say that he was immoral. And he wouldn't say he was being egotistical and terrible. He would say that, you know, I have an idea as to what's supposed to be, and these people are in the way, and this is for the good of everybody, including him, but the good of everybody. And, and this just is a very, you know, uh, yeah, well, am I happy doing this? Okay, maybe he was a sadist, but, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, I, what am I going to do? I just have to do this. Most of them, I mean, obviously, you and I would call them sick, but that's not right. They're not sick, they're evil. Sick gets them off the hook. You're not sick. They're evil. <laughs> that, that because if you're sick, you're not responsible for what you do. What are you supposed to do? I sneezed. Well, don't sneeze. I can't not sneeze. I have a cold. You know, what do you want from me? Right? But if I spit all over your book, so then that's not very nice, right? Okay, it's not because I'm sick. It's just because I'm a creep. Okay. And there's... So, so now, now that's in moral terms. I'm sorry I brought that up. It just happens to be someone sent me a... I haven't heard from him since, since I answered. I sent an answer, but, but I haven't heard from him. It's the dangers of American college life. Your soul. He's here twice. Short term. Beautiful guy. Amazing. Baruch Hashem, very close to his Shuliach on campus. Some clip. He didn't tell me who it was. He just sent me a clip. And I, uh, it just was not, it was off. It was just off what this guy was saying. It was just off. So before I asked who it was, I just gave my response. Then I said, okay, now who is that? So, you know, what can you do? There's also obviously aspects of our life that are super rational. And we experience that. And it's not a function of moral decisions, it's just a function of experience. And what's that? Well, the love you feel for certain people. The love of a parent for a child and a child for a parent is not a rational decision. A child doesn't love their parent because they've come to the intellectual conclusion that their parent is worthy of love. A child loves their parent because they're their parent. It's some sort of existential connection that's, that's very powerful. And there can be situations where the parent is abusive. And the child shouldn't have anything to do with the parent. But that's very hard for the child to do. Why? Because there's a much more... That rationally, the child would say, I shouldn't have anything to do with this person. But that's very, very hard for them to do because they have this incredibly super-rational, very powerful, super-rational connection to this person. Now, hopefully they'll pull away if the parent is really not a good person. Okay. Now, I'm sorry for bringing up a negative example of it, but that's the best way of showing how it's clearly not rational. Okay. Know that I mean anybody, anybody with a brain knows that anybody who can think straight knows that a relationship of a parent and a child is not a rational relationship. It's not based on rational. Now, as we grow older, we become more appreciative intellectually of what and who a parent is, and then hopefully we behave differently. Right? Fifteen-year-olds don't usually behave very well relative to their parents. And there's all sorts of reasons for that, okay, Beseder, but I mean, you know, they haven't developed the intellectual sophistication to appreciate what their parents are doing, and they just see their parents as this, you know, force of restriction, and they're annoyed at them. They also have to, you know, set out on their own and establish their own personality, and so they have to break away a certain degree, okay, Beseder. Hopefully it can be done in a healthy and positive fashion. Sometimes not. Okay. 
Mark Twain, the master of great one-liners. I probably said more good, pithy little statements than just about anybody else. What did he say? He said, at 15, I thought my father was a real jerk. At 20, I was amazed at what the old man had learned in five years. Meaning the 20-year-old is more mature and more appreciative of what a parent is. And as you grow older and then, of course, have your own children, then you really appreciate it. Right? Are they perfect? Of course they're not perfect. They're just like you. They're not perfect. But could they make mistakes? Of course they can make mistakes. But you know, is, do they have a very, very powerful and positive relationship to you and with you know, to you first? Yes, probably. In most cases. With you? Well, hopefully. Right? Okay. That's certainly not Das. It has to come into Das. It has to come into my conscious reality as I get older and appreciate it more. Okay, so do with the Abishtha. Our relationship with the Abishtha is not based on the fact that we have intellectually decided that God is God. That's why there's a God, because I decided there's one. It's not why there's a God. And that's also not why we're connected to him. We're connected to him at a much deeper level than that. We just learned about it in the fourth chapter, right? An essential connection that transcends intellect completely and totally. The DNA of our Nefesh Elokis is Elokus. Okay. So now tapping into that is a level of a vayda called Shdus, the Kedusha. Going beyond Das. Hmm. It's a very high and wondrous level. Now, the Rebbe is going to explain it in the context of Isha and Isha. Hmm. Meaning, Rav Shmuel Bar did all this at the Chasna. I mean, why was he acting this way, Dafka at a Chasna? What was that all about? Oh, so first the Rebbe is going to explain the Indian of a Chasna. And then we'll see how that relates to Rav Shmuel Bar and, and what he was Zeichet to. The Ish Isha, which of course is the same word. Ish is Ish Yud, Ish Yud, fire of Yud, and Ish is the fire of K. Right? The Ish is the Mashpia, is the one that gives. The Isha is the Kli, the, it's Mekabel, that receives. Malchus, hey, femininity. Hare, Zochu, behold, if they merit. Hare, Shechina, Shura, Beneim. The Shechina rests amongst them. The Ish, I was going to explain. The Ish, who Ish, Ish, fire of Yud. The Isha, who Ish, K. The fire of K, Yud K, God's name. And when they merit, as Harihu Yud K, it's a fire of Yud K. The continuation of that idea, just in, uh, not to depress us, but just to understand the, 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 the power of that relationship also. Because I'll say, Kasher Zochu Harihu Yud K, it's a fire of incredibly intense godliness. If Chos Vesholem Loi Zochu, then it's a devouring fire. It will devour them. If chos v'sholem, the marriage is not a positive experience, it's a very, very, very difficult experience. It's not something powerful. <coughs> so it's a fire, either a positive fire or it could chos v'sholem be the opposite. Okay. Ubaba gilui, and this comes as a revelation. Well, how is this... Godliness in their in their relationship revealed. Begili binyanadayad in building a, a home that's an ever, everlasting edifice, a, a home that is 
that is a, a place. When you think about what a what a what a home is, it's an amazing thing. It's where two people bring neshamas into the world and nurture those neshamas, so those neshamas can go out into the world and make the world a better place, and ultimately produce their own neshamas that'll come into the world, and that's an everlasting thing. It never stops. It's an amazing thing. So my grandchildren are such a kick. Im came. It's a very, it's a very lofty thing. A chasna, a chopa. Two people coming together to bring about a revelation of elokus is an amazing thing. Therefore, as a result of being sensitive to the ash of yud k that was being revealed at the chasna, so Rav Shmuel by Rav Yitzchok went ois. Kalim, right, he went beyond his da, since it was a revelation of Elokus beyond the rational reality that he usually, usually experiences. So he, he acted in a way that was commensurate to that incredibly powerful revelation because he was sensitive to the revelation. So then what happened at his, at his funeral? A revelation of what? Of Aish, the Aish of Yud and Kay. Therefore, Lachay, uh, because of this, Zacha, he merited to incredibly powerful revelation, lofty revelations. That there was actually a fire, people could see it. A fire burning in the midair in between him and everybody else. Now the Rebbe says something very, very interesting. This is a revelation of light in a revealed way, Mamish. Oh, so that, that, that's a very interesting thing. In other words, obviously there's a possibility of Gili or Shalei Begilui Mamish. If we say there's a Gili or Begilui Mamish, that must mean there's a Gili or that's not Begilui Mamish. Right? Otherwise, why say it? Right? So there's a level of revelation that I don't necessarily see, and there's a level of revelation that I do see. So this was a le- level of revelation that I do see. So how can there be a, re- a, re- a level of revelation that I don't see? Then isn't that not revealed? No, it's not true. You and I know every time we do an act of iskafir, ishafka, we're megale or seivev. Do we see it? No. Okay, so what's, a, what, what's an example of that in, in Gashmias? And there's examples in Gashmias. There are all sorts of people right now sitting in different places within, I don't know how far from here, but, you know, relatively close, who are being megala radio waves into this room. Right? This room is full of radio waves. Right? If you had a radio and turned it on, you'd pick up all sorts of stations in this room. What does that mean? Those radio waves are in this room floating all over the waving all over the whatever radio waves do waving around right true okay are they revealed not to me why not I'm not a radio and I don't have a radio if I had a radio I could reveal them it's not a it's not a problem to reveal them but I don't have a radio so then I can't reveal them that doesn't mean they're not revealed here they're just not revealed but where I'd have a radio and turn it on so you'd hear Rashid Pate. 
Why? Well, because Rashid Bait is in this room. All over the bang, banging off the walls. Rashid Bait and Rashid Gimel. I think there's a Rashid Aleph. I think Rashid Aleph is classical music. I'm not sure. Okay, you know, there's all sorts of... Nah, there's more now because they deregulated about 15 years ago. So there's all these radio stations. Hundreds of them. Okay, I don't know, hundreds. Tens of them that are revealing radio waves in this room. Now, those radio waves, you know, in some bizarre way, contain within them all sorts of information. Right? In some strange way, however that works. I mean, maybe some of you studied it. I, I never did, but it's like really interesting. But the, like if you catch the wave, you'll hear some guy talking. He's talking in this room right now. Sort of. Bizarre. Okay. Is that revealed? Well, yeah, because someone's revealing it. But it's not revealed. But mamish. Okay, what about Elokus? Same thing. The Abishah can reveal godly light in such a way that you and I aren't sensitive to its presence, but it, it's, it's there. There's a more powerful revelation of light in the place you're in. You might not be sensitive to that, okay? You might be sensitive to it. You might be sensitive to it in an oifen makif. It's not that you might see it, but somehow, yeah, you feel the same walking around Eretz Yisrael that you feel walking around uh, New Jersey. Eretz is holier. You're not aware of that? Most people are. Eretz Israel is just clearly a holier place than New Jersey or, or Sumatra. It's just what it is. Why? There's more gilui here. That's just, there's more gilui or here. There's more elokus, so to speak. What does that mean? That means, on a simple level, you have to be less sensitive to pick it up here than you have to be to pick it up in New Jersey. There's really no difference, right? It's all elokus. It doesn't matter. But you don't have to be as sensitive in Eretz Israel to pick up the elokus as you have to be in New Jersey or in boom, boom, boom. Right? There's also elokus in boom, boom, boom. It's just hard to pick up. Hard to pick up. Right? Okay. So there's gilui. It's just the gilui isn't the gilui mamish. There are places where the gilui is the gilui mamish. Stand by a tzaddik. Go to the grave site of a tzaddik. Right? Go to the Rashbi. Go to Marisa Machpelo. You feel the same standing by the Rashbi as you feel waiting in line to buy falafel? No, there's, there's a gili or there. It's just, it's just a powerful place. I mean, look, it's, it's a very powerful place. There's no question. Now, I might not feel it. I might be sort of stopped up in a little, you know, Not that that's an existential state. It's just, you know, right now I'm not, I'm like, I'm full of something else. I'm not picking up the signals. Okay. But they're there. Okay, so here the Rebbe says something so fascinating. Gili or Gili Mami. Everybody saw it. It was there. Mamish. Whoa. <coughs> Stand next to a Jew doing a mitzvah. Oh, I, don't, I don't see it happening. Oh, you see that happening? The Malachim up there are watching Jews do mitzvahs. Go, Svi Freeman, one of the first things he wrote, he wrote a great article in the early stages of his career, right, about that, that uh, 
Meshu Rabbeinu is arguing with the Ebrister about the Torah, right? The, 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 I mean, he's really arguing with the angels, right? The Ebrister is saying to, okay, you know, tell them why not. So the angels say, you know, why would you going to give a Torah to these, these, you know, people, flesh and blood? My gosh, you know, look at them. They're just so low. They get their, their feet smell after they, they're in shoes all day. I mean, you can't give the Torah to people like this. This creature called people. Then all of a sudden, the Jew down there does a mitzvah. Explosion of awe, the likes of which no one's ever seen. And the malachim are blown back. And they go, whoa, what was that? There's a Jew doing a mitzvah. Oh, another one, one after the other, and so finally the malachim say, "Okay, okay, okay, give them the Torah, see what's happened." That doesn't happen up here. Okay, so that's what happens every time we do a mitzvah. You, you see it? We're all doing a mitzvah right now. You see it? Is the world, the, the world exploding around us? There's gilui, gilui or here that would blind us. Okay, I'm saying that. Oh, no more coffee. Same time, I can worry about my coffee. So when people say Jerusalem is like holy, they mean there's just more gilui, but there's nothing really special about it other than the fact. But that's that special, isn't it? Revealed. I mean, that's special. I mean, on the deepest level, it's all elokus anyway. Uh-huh. And on the deepest, deepest level, there's taka no world. <laughs> okay, say, but on the level of world, there's places of greater gilui and less gilui. So that that's what you and I call holier and less holy. Hundred percent. That's what it means. Right? There's, uh, bottom, can you find the Abishter in Pierre, Illinois? He's not there any less than he is here. I understand. Pierre exists less than here. It's there, right? Okay. Well, I mean, we learned that we learned in the end of in the end of Yadaita. So the the, the Rebbe explains that the the, the that the Yidden and Chutzlach the Chazal called them Evdi Avedazer Batara. Their idol worships batahara, impurity. I mean, an idol worshiper in purity. And why are the people in Kuzlar called idol worshippers? Right? And the Rebbe Shab asks, of course, where did he ask the question? Where did he say the Maimur? In Kuzlar. Right? So, what, 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 so he explains that what? Since the Elokus that vitalizes Kuzlar comes down through an extra levush, an extra garment called the garment of Asiya, Elam Asiya, whereas in Eretz Israel, the elokus that vitalizes the world doesn't come through the garment of its of, of a sea, and it's directly from Elam Yitzira. So then it's easier to be sensitive to that level of elokus. Therefore, a person in Eretz Yisrael, like anything else, the advantage is also obligatory. Therefore, in Eretz Yisrael, a person should be more sensitive to elokus. Right? And should realize that that's where their vitality is coming from, where it's, it might be understandable for a person in Chutzlach to lose sight of that and to think that their vitality is coming through all these intermediaries, right? Whether it's metaphysical intermediaries or, you know, today, you know, Halavai were metaphysical, usually it's physical. You know, that my college degree is the reason I'm making a living. So that's a Vedazara. College degrees aren't the source of your living. God is. Might the college degree be a means by which you draw that down? Okay, Seder, but don't, don't worship it. Don't bow down to it. Okay, don't bow down to your factory. Your factory isn't the source of your parnasa. God's the source of your parnasa. The factory is just the clea that's helping bring that down. Just like you don't bow down to the apple that you eat that gives you vitality. <laughs> the apple gives you vitality, so bow down to it. It's not the source of my vitality. God's the source of my vitality. That godly energy clothed in the apple gives me vitality. So I eat the apple. Say a bracha on the apple. 
Right? But I don't bow down to the apple, put a bunch of apples on, the, on a pedestal and bow down, oh, apples, thank you so much for giving me energy because I had apples for breakfast. We'd all put shakshuka up on, the, on some pedestal and we'll bow down to shakshuka. Oh, great shakshuka. I'd make up all sorts of prayers for shakshuka, if you eat it or not, whatever. <coughs> so you sort your vitality doesn't come from shakshuka. Your vitality comes from God. It's clothed in the shakshuka. So not about that. <laughs> Don't eat. You're not going to have a lot of energy. You better eat. You're going to bow down to food. Well, it's not where it comes from. It comes from God, but through food. That's how God gives you energy through eating food. Why? Because the food is His energy. How does the food exist? It's just Him. Okay. So sometimes that's more obvious. Sometimes less obvious. Okay, be your Indian. That's what I was going to explain about this. Because that was just, that was just a basic explanation. That the, the chasna is an, am- an amazing event of two neshamas coming together to bring about a revelation of Elokus. <coughs> Rav Shmuel Bar Rav Yitzhak was very sensitive to that and somehow tapped into that super rational level of godliness that's being revealed at the chasna and acted accordingly. And therefore, at his Leviah, there was a revelation, B'gilu'i Mamish. Everybody at the Leviah saw the Yesh. Ubiyurinyan, who, Tehine, Orein Seif, the light of the Abishter, meaning infinite and beyond infinite. Orein Seif can be explained in many, many different ways. Meaning, what does Ein Seif mean? I know it means no end, we're fine. But what's Ein Seif? Is Ein Seif Atzmus? Is Ein Seif Or? Ein Seif is, it is a word used in Hasidus that can be, that is, that is, that is very uh, flexible, so to speak. Sometimes it'll be referring to Atzmus. Sometimes it'll be referring to Or. Right? And, and you, you just have to understand it in context. The light of it, the, the, the unlimited light. No thought can comprehend it. Now, generally, when we talk about the level of Elokus that is completely beyond any comprehension whatsoever, we're talking about Atzmus. The Rebbe says this explicitly in, in different places. In, in, from the Rava, there's a number of places. No thought can comprehend. Quoted all over. <coughs> Is that rel- relative to Ormamale? Absolutely not. Ormamale, you can understand very, very clearly. Just like the Neshama fills the goof, God fills the world. You can understand it very, very clearly. There's no reason in the world, as a matter of fact, it, 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 no reason in the world. It, 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 it's It's the opposite of any reason imaginable to say that the level of godliness that vitalizes the world is a level beyond my understanding and I can't, I can't think about it and I can't understand it. Absolute nonsense. Or mamale is a level of godly light that you can understand very, very clearly. You can talk about different levels of it. You can talk about what it is, how it works. And if you can't, so sit down and learn chassidus. No, we learned it in the first paragraph in Vasilagani, what mamale is. The Rebbe spent quite a while explaining mamale, different levels of light. What's a mushal for mamale? The soul filling your body, right? Light, the power of light being clothed in your eyes, the power of hearing being clothed in your ears, the power of speech being clothed in your mouth, right? The power of movement being clothed in the extremities, the power of intellect being clothed in your brain. Mamale, right? What's a mushal for sevev? Ratzel. Ratzel, beautiful, right? 
Don't ever forget these things, or else you won't understand anything in life, right? You remember it, you'll understand things, right? Ratzay, Moshal Perseveh, right? Meaning a level of light, a level of energy that's, that's in your body. It powers everything you do, but it's not clothed in any particular limb because it's too powerful to be clothed in any particular cleat. So Ratzay empowers everything you do equally. You see because you want to, you speak because you want to, you think because you want to, you, you hear because you want to, you move because you want to. Whereas hearing is not seeing two completely different states of being, right? Two completely different states of orma male, light that fills, okay? Different worlds, etzilus, bri, etzira, if I can't explain the difference between those worlds, go back, do review on the first chapter of Basi Lagan. You have to be able to understand or mamale and or sevev. That's just aleph base. So mamale, mamale is not something I don't understand. Mamale is something I should be able to talk about for hours on end and explain. Okay. Sevev? Even sevev is a level of light, infinite godly light, that it's true. I can't understand what it is because I have no positive description of infinite. I mean, infinite means not finite. I don't know what it is. I just know what it isn't. Okay, but I do have what's called hasogash lilis, negative comprehension. I know what it isn't. So you and I can discuss sevev a lot. Now, the way we're going to discuss sevev is only by first understanding mamale. Have you ever met anybody who did that? Yeah, well, the mimer, you're learning. That's exactly what the Rebbe did at great length in the first chapter. He wanted to explain sevev. What did he do? He took 15 lines, 20 lines to explain mamale first. Right? And if at the end of the first chapter you don't know the you, you can't explain fairly clearly two or three differences between Umale and Seved, so then you have to go back and learn the first chapter of Basilagani again, because that's something you just have to be able to explain as much as you can explain how to get from Mayanot to Geula. It's just something you have to know. Right? You have to know that when the, the light turns green, you're allowed to walk. You don't know that. Like, what, what are you doing? What, like, what's happening in life? Okay, so you have to know that it was and Seved. You just have to know that. If you don't know, that's a learning. You didn't learn it in Basilagani? Go back, learn it again. You weren't here? Okay, find a book that explains it. Listen to these things. Who knows? Whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, but those two levels of reality are something we can talk about. Well, you can. We do. What's this all about? Mamalian Seva, explaining different levels in Mamalian Seva. <coughs> okay. There's also a level called Atzmus. That level, the essence of God, lays Makshovit Visa Bechwal. No comprehension whatsoever of that. I don't know what Atmos is. I don't know what it isn't. I can't talk about it. What does that mean? This level of God that's just absolute being. We've talked about it so many times. It's so important to just throw it out there to, to remind ourselves, right? He didn't come from anywhere. He, there's no purpose to his existence. Where did Atmos come from? It didn't. Why is it there? It just is. What's the purpose of his being? No purpose. God doesn't exist to create you. God just is. He decided to create you, okay? Because that's very nice of him because I think you appreciate this incredible experience called existing. It's really cool. Okay, but you didn't have to do that. It's not, it doesn't affect him, ki if you are or you aren't, to the extent that he's more or less him. He wanted to create us and create a world and give us this incredible opportunity to try to make a dear betachtenim. Okay, fine. So usually when we talk about the level that's completely beyond comprehension, we're talking about Atzmus. But here the Rebbe does say, Okay. <coughs> There's no thought that can comprehend it. What does that mean? 
It's not that I'm not smart enough to understand it. It's not something that can be comprehended by intellect. Right? It doesn't fit into the box of intellect. It's not that there is an intellect that can understand it, it's just that's not my intellect. No. It doesn't fit into intellect. Can you think of something that doesn't fit into intellect? Can't be explained intellectually? Is gravity. there such a thing? Hmm? Gravity. Why can't gravity be explained intellectually? I can see how it works, and I, I might not know exactly why, but I, I you know, I, I would imagine the physicist would give you a pretty long, serious series of lectures explaining how it works. Why it's true? The good physicist will always say we don't know why. They're good at that. The bad ones don't say that, but the good ones all say that. But how? You know, bigger mass, more gravitational pull, smaller mass, less gravitational pull. Why? I don't know. But that's how they work. Why does the you know, photon act like it acts when it bounces off the glass? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. If I send 100 photons to a pane of glass, 96, you know, regular thickness of a pane, 96 of them will go through the glass, four of them will reflect off the glass. Why do they do that? Don't know, but that's what they do. That's why you see a faint image of yourself. If they all reflect, then you, it's called a mirror. If none of them reflect, then you won't see anything. But when you look at a pane of glass, you usually see a very faint image of yourself, but you can also see through. Why? Because your average pane of glass will evidently, again, you know, it'll go up or down depending on how thick the glass is, but your average pane of glass will let most of the photons through, which is why you can see the trees outside. And some of them will reflect back. How does the photon know that it's one of the reflected ones and not one of the ones that no one understands? It just, that's how it works. Right? And they have these things that click, right? You know, those little photon, whatever they're called, photon, some things that the physicists have that when you shine it through so that when the photon, they can shoot one photon at a time, so to speak. So when a photon hits something, it makes a little click. So they can hear the clicks and measure where the photons are going. <laughs> 96 go through, four. Now, put a bunch of panes of glass. So now, four are bouncing up, 96 are going through, but of those 96, some are bouncing up. And then when they hit that pane of glass, so most of them are bouncing back down, right? Because, or, or sorry, most of them are going through, but some of them are bouncing back down. And, you know, figure that all out. And then you can figure out all sorts of interesting things about how light and energy moves around. Okay, fine. I never quite figured out past that part of the book. It gets stuck there every time. I start from the beginning because it's in the bathroom and it's really interesting. The first 20 pages are incredible, but after that I just can't understand what he's talking about. It's supposed to be for idiots, but I guess I haven't quite reached the level of idiot. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> fine. So why? I don't know. What's something that you can't explain intellectually? Um, okay, but I mean, time to a certain degree, you're, you're right. I don't know exactly what it is, but I, I can measure it and I can have all sorts of interesting, you know, I, it, it doesn't weigh anything and it doesn't smell but I can measure it by virtue of the relative movement of bodies in space and, you know, 
You're right, I don't know, you know, what is it? Well, it's something God created, just like space. He created space and time. How about love? I'm going to explain love intellectually. Okay, should we bring into this room all the books and poems and stories that have tried to do that? We'd have to move, right? Because the book, the room would be full of all those literary works. Right? Love is not an idea. Love is an emotion. So it can't really be explained intellectually. Prove to me in a laboratory the existence of love. We've talked about this. Right? Can't prove in a laboratory the existence of love. Why not? Because love isn't an idea. <laughs> it's an emotion. And emotions can't be proved in laboratories. I can show that when people are shown love, there's certain physiological um, uh, uh, responses, etc. that, you know, okay, fine, that I get. Prove to me that's called love. I can't prove to you that's called love. That You and I call that love. We, 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 we'll all agree that's called love, but, but prove it. And I'm not even sure exactly how it works at all, because it's not at all as easily understood as gravity or as measurable as time. Right? Even though both examples are good examples to the extent that you're right. I don't know exactly you know, what it is, like gravity. Well, how much does gravity weigh? Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Okay. What smell does time have? No, it doesn't work that way. There's a thing about intellectual, it could be, it could be, you grasp some, something intellectually. I'm sorry? The what? It, it, could be, it could be that someone would grasp something intellectually, but that they don't understand where it is, really. Just because they know the formula doesn't mean that they understand where it is. If, if I can't explain it intellectually, then I don't understand what it is. That doesn't mean I don't experience it, but I'm not experiencing, experiencing it intellectually. I'm experiencing it on some other level of reality. Your mind doesn't just think. Your mind does also, I mean, it, your mind experiences pain, physical pain, right? When you burn your finger, where does that happen? That happens in your head. I mean, it happened in your finger, but because, you know, you're, you're experiencing it because you have a brain. Cut the finger off from, this, from the brain and you won't, you won't experience the pain, right? Just ask an anesthesiologist how to do that. They're pretty good at that, aren't they? blocking the impulses from getting to the brain so that they can operate on us. I find it absolutely, of, of operation, I think that's probably the part that I find most astounding, personally, that they can actually put someone out so deeply that you can literally cut them up and, and, and then they bring them back. It's astounding how <laughs> they figure out how to do that. I understand the cutting part must be pretty cool, too, you know, in terms of learning how to do it, okay, but that's just like a car mechanic. How do they get the guy out like that? And keep him out just right, too much? Oh, might not get him back. Too little? Ow! Sorry, you know. Whoa! And they keep it there, you know, they're sitting there, you know, in the room, watching all the monitors, just, it's all cool. And then the doctor says, okay, bring him back. My wife's been in there, right? When she was a medical student, she, you know, sat there in operations. And they say at the end, okay, bring him back. Sometime, once, she was in an operation where the surgeons were arguing each other. Surgeons tend to be interesting people. They were busy arguing each other and, uh, uh, and about the patient. And the anesthesiologist was saying, the patient is with us. 
meaning they're back. These two are, you know, talking about this lady on the table in a way that's not so. Okay, fine. So how's that happen? Well, you know, just like, I don't know exactly, but I mean, you know, you block the neurological connections between the brain and that part of the body, so even though the pain is happening there, so to speak, I'm not aware of it, so it's not bothering me. So I'm just, you know, hanging out quietly, very quietly, laying there on, not me, laying there on the table. And these people are busy, you know, cutting and sewing and doing and taking this out and putting that back in, and it's unbelievable. It's a moshel the Rebbe brings for... uh, different things that happen in the world that we might not understand. Derby said, imagine if someone were to come from out of space. This is what Derby says in the later. Someone were to come from another world and land on Earth in an operating theater. That's where they landed. They would see all these people in masks hovering over someone, cutting them up and taking pieces out and putting pieces back. And they said, this is the most barbaric place I've ever seen in my life. Look at this. These people are barbarians. Look what they're doing to this poor person lying on the table, this helpless person lying on the table, being slaughtered by this whole group of other people, all covered up, slicing and dicing. Wow. Yet, in effect, what is happening? One of the greatest acts of chesed that could possibly exist. The only thing all those people in the masks have in mind at that particular moment is the welfare of the person on the table. That's the only thing driving every action they're doing. Whereas if you were to look at it, not understanding that, you would think that this is the, 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 the nastiest, most horrible, evil thing you've ever seen. So next time you judge the way God does things, think about it. Maybe I don't understand exactly what's really going on. That's what the Rebbe writes in the letter. It's an incredible mushroom. Just we don't understand what's what's really going on. So it looks pretty bad to us sometimes. Okay, So we just don't appreciate what's what's really happening. Because that act, interestingly enough, there's very few things that are as altruistic as doctors healing people. I mean, it's just amazing. The only thing the doctor cares about is the welfare of the patient at that moment. That doesn't mean the doctor's a tzaddik, but that's what they care about. The last conversation that I had with my father, he was 101 years old. My wife and I were in the room. It took him a while to recognize us. Once he recognized my wife, he said, you're, you're a medical student. <laughs> So my wife said, well, I graduated. When? And, you know, 40 years ago. Okay. <laughs> 35 years ago. So he said, okay. But he asked, you know, a few times. You're a medical student. Well, I graduated. So then, so then, then he asked me, you enjoy medicine? She likes it. Yeah. So then my, my, my wife asked my father, Dad, do you like medicine? He's 101. When I walked in the room, he didn't recognize me. He, after a while, he figured out who I was. I mean, I told him, I'm your son. And he knew, okay, he has a son. He knows that. So she, she said, you like medicine? He said, I loved it. She said, what did you like? So he said, well, people come in not feeling good, and they leave feeling better. That's nice. That's medicine, isn't it? 
101 years old, doesn't know who his son is. That's what he remembers from medicine. That's nice. That's real. It's the last thing I heard him say, basically. I had a conversation with him two, three months later. There wasn't a conversation. He wasn't there. He couldn't, couldn't get, get it. Amazing. Unbelievable. That's real. Okay. That's real. Let's just do a couple more lines of the mimer, and then we'll stop. Haradina, or ain't if I lay smoke shavat visa bechla. What does that mean? It's not within the gather of a saga. The Rebbe says, to call a saga any level of comprehension, hine gama yeser nilis, even the highest level of comprehension, harihu begeder a saga al kolpadi. It's still comprehension. It's still intellect, an intellect can understand ideas, but there's things intellect can't understand. Another example, that's the simplest example, explain the color orange to someone who never saw. <coughs> you can't explain the color orange to someone who never saw. Someone who had sight and lost it, so of course you can explain a, a shade of orange to that person because they've seen orange. But orange is an idea. <laughs> orange is something you can see. And if you can't see, then orange is irrelevant to you. Well, it doesn't exist. In your world, orange, why? Because you don't see. Well, it's a warm color. What does that mean to someone who never saw? To someone who did see you, you that, that means something, but not to someone who never saw. Orange is a non-starter. Why? Because it's not an idea. It's a visual experience. And vision is not intellect. That doesn't mean that you can't think about what you've seen once you've seen it. But it's a different experience. So intellect can't understand color if it's never seen it. Just can't do it. It's impossible. Okay. Or in another, another muscle that's brought, explain physics to an orange. No matter how much you talk to the orange, the orange will never get it. Okay. Now, you'll say the orange doesn't have intellect. You're right. The orange doesn't have intellect. But that's like talking to intellect about something that intellect can't understand. So then it's just like talking to an orange about physics. It doesn't get it. Why? Because that's not what it's for. That's not what it's a cleave for. It's a cleave for amazing things. Intellect is astounding. But it's, it's intellect. It's got a box called intellect. And outside of that box, it has no clue what reality looks like outside of that box. Any, any comprehension, even the highest levels. It's still intellectual understanding. That which is not in the within the, the, the limited understand the limited reality called intellectual comprehension. You can't understand. I mean, intellect is limited. Intellect can understand ideas. Has a hard time understanding feelings. It's aware of the existence of the feeling, but it doesn't necessarily understand what a feeling is. It's not an intellect, it's a feeling. It's not an idea. Okay. But it can, it can develop ideas about feelings. Okay, and we discuss them. Fine, true. Intellect can't understand color. Well, that's not true. If your eyes have seen the color, then intellect can understand it. Someone who's experienced love 
can discuss love with someone else who has experienced love. Two people who have never experienced love can't understand it, can't discuss it. Why not? <laughs> what are they going to discuss? <coughs> okay. That's the nature of intellect. Okay, so there's a level of elokus that can't be comprehended in intellect. I can comprehend intellectually that there's a level of elokus beyond intellect. That I can comprehend. And if I can't comprehend that, I've got to think about it. Because that's something my intellect should understand. My intellect should understand that there are things beyond intellect. That's an idea that intellect can understand. But I don't know what those things are. I mean, I, don't, I, I might be able to talk about them. This level of godliness, this level of God, this relationship. That, okay, but I don't... I, I, okay, I know, what, I know that they are. But what they are, I don't know. They're not part of intellect, are they? Why is a child so powerfully connected to a parent? It just is. Explain that intellectually. Is. Because you're going to tell me the parent took care of the child, blah, 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 blah. Not necessarily the case. There are all sorts of situations, in normal situations, that is the case. But that's not always the case. It doesn't mean the child's not going to let connect to the parent.